Millennials are achieving freedom with new definitions of success. Our careers, relationships, education, family, even our politics look nothing like our parents. We're adopting what works and throwing out the rest. We are tired, but not worn, in our quest to get there. We Should Be Sleeping explores the things worth losing sleep over. Each week, we discuss the news and topics that keep us awake. Then, our guests share the intentional ways they've done it differently to achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation. Not ready for bed? Neither are we. I'm Douglas Bonaparte. I'm Heather Bonaparte. Welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to We Should Be Sleeping. I'm Douglas Bonaparte here with my wife, Heather Bonaparte. Heather, how you doing? Cold. Yeah, there's a lot of snow. There's a lot of snow outside, and our basement, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, that like I work all day in our basement, and it's literally like 45 degrees, and I just said to Doug, I physically feel ill after two to three hours of being down here. It's everyone's favorite game, illness or hypothermia. Is it COVID, or has it been a long day? No, you just work in a giant Yeti cooler. <laughs> literally. Anyway, I hope you can feel the chill through the airwaves, but anyway- it's been quite a crazy week. We vowed not to go too deep into any of these finance topics on this podcast. This is more of general human interest, but- This is human interest. This has broken through the world of finance and it is- Mainstream. Completely mainstream human interest. GameStop, WTF. Yeah, the almost defunct video game mall retailer here. Fundamentally speaking, not a good company at the moment due to COVID, but- Top of the headlines here, people are going bananas for GameStop and AMC and just a number of other companies under this title, the meme stonks. What's your first take of this? I operate in finance, and this has been maybe top three, four, possibly five craziest, craziest stories. And you got some doozies in there, like the Great Recession and stuff like that. So I'm on the inside, and this is nuts. You're quasi, if not I'm on the adjacent. outside. I consider myself adjacent to a lot of topics that affect the financial markets. I mean, I read a lot. I am try to be as educated as I can about these things, but I'm also just a lay person who doesn't always get it. And I am susceptible to like whatever the general dumbed down narrative is because I'd be lying to say that I fully understood, similar to how I've had to have people explain Bitcoin to me 4,000 times, even though I own Bitcoin. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and but I eventually got it. And I'm not saying this to- No, I get it. That's a good take for, I guess, the layman I understanding. Get, I, like, I get it, but do I get it? And so it got Doug and I talking about narratives. And beyond, there's the outward facing narrative that you see on like with the talking heads on like Elizabeth Warren yelling on CNN about- Regulation. Regulation. Protect the consumer. Bad broker dealer. Yeah. <laughs> on CNN. Let's back up for a second here because right. maybe some of our listeners either don't know about it because it wasn't important to them or they just kind of saw the headline and sure. they're like, what the heck? Go for it. Whatever. So I'll try and do this in a nutshell, but essentially- a group of traders on a very popular Reddit forum called Wall Street Bets noticed that there were some companies that some big institutions were really betting against. They were shorting them. So they decided with the tools of the day, meaning like free trading platforms like Robinhood, cheap money through low interest rates, their internet forums, Twitter, Reddit, they could band together. They decided to make a move. And what they were going to do is buy these arguably bad companies like GameStop here, the number one, and squeeze 
the institutional investors or traders on the other side, causing the price to go higher and higher and higher. And it worked. It It worked. worked. So now this was the kind of beginning of the narrative of the small guy is winning for once. Down with the billionaire hedge fund managers, and here comes the rise of the retail trader. A virtual Occupy Wall Street, if you will. A David and Goliath narrative for the ages. Yeah, they're fighting back, kind of like allusions to 2008 and 2009. There are stories upon stories here, but But that's the narrative. That's the one that's sticking and the most universal and would catch your attention in the nightly news. David versus Goliath. Always have Rocky Balboa. Always have, always will. But. But. Let's put a little asterisk there. And this is where we try and always dig deeper and where our conversations go because Doug and I are both cynics. (laughs) (laughs) We're both cynics in our own professional worlds. And so we tend to be a little critical of this. That's putting it like negatively. A positive spin would be we're self-aware. Yeah, fair enough. We both look at this and we say, okay, like I get this narrative and I get this is the most digestible. And that's why this is the one that's being cranked out both on in the mainstream media and why people are talking about it, why it's sexy. It's so much fun. And everybody's like going on about how they made like money and it's great. But- oh yeah. I turned $600 stimulus check into $50,000. Clickbait. I get it. It's more nuanced than but that. But what's really behind what the just narrative. happened? Well, not just the narrative of how people just made money, but then you bring in like Robin Hood and the takedown of Robin Hood. I always said to Douglas, okay, that's great. A David and Goliath narrative, but like people love to see the rise and people love to see the fall. Okay. So let's stop there and back up for one quick second. Cause you brought in now one of the major actors in this David versus Goliath story, the, the Robin Hood element. But basically this thing was working for the retail trader. Like the prices were going up. They were making money. Doesn't mean they cashed out. They, they were making money David on- David was payroll. having his day. Okay. David's having his having day. Having a day. A yeah. day or a few days. And then something happened. They shut it down. They, the proverbial they, they shut it down. Basically, keep it as simple as possible. It got so expensive for the retail traders to buy these stocks on their favorite platforms- that the platforms had to shut it down or there wouldn't be platforms for them to even trade it on. So here's this truth bomb that's nuanced and kind of gets into the plumbing. If you really dive into this, I'm going to bore everyone to death. Oh, please don't. Yeah, I'm not. It's just like the plumbing of Wall Street and how things work and it's so archaic. It's not built for the, it's not built for this. It's not. Not built for this in what sense? In the quick nature and the over, I mean like. Yeah. In the game, in in the access and gamification. Gamification was the word I was just going to use. Like, like the quick prompt gamification of allowing that type of access. I mean, like this system was probably set up when it was just some dude. You had to call some broker on the phone. What do you mean on a giant phone before the internet? Right, that's what I mean. It was pre-internet stuff. Give me the game stock, see? Yeah, give me the stop. <laughs> stop loss, no, naked all the way. Um, very <laughs> funny. But so you're building all of this stuff on old piping and it got jammed and it burst in the walls and now there's really poo-poo water everywhere. It's not good. Gross. But yeah. nobody wants to hear that story. Nope. That's you mansplaining Wall Street. Yeah, nobody wants to hear this. And want to know who doesn't want to hear this the most? The retail traders who now think they've gotten not only screwed over by the man, but their own platform that was helping them do this, such as Robin Hood, screwed them over too. It amplified the biggest narrative of them all, making it that much more difficult because it was already difficult to break away from that narrative. I can sympathize, even though this isn't my universe. 
I sympathize with this. With who? The retail traders? The situation? With the situation. Because look, I'm in the general counsel's office for a major insurance company and I don't do health insurance, but I really get health insurance. Like just I have a very detailed understanding of how this system works. Talk why about weak narratives. Why it's broken and how impossible, I mean, not impossible, but how very, very, very hard it will be to fix it. And when people come to me and they say something like, and I don't want to get political, but it's like, wouldn't it just be better if Medicare for all, that would be the greatest thing. And I understand like how difficult and like what the actual cause and effects are of a system like that. Just like, wouldn't it be great if we could democratize trading for everybody and that there'd be none of this to ever have to deal with? And that's what people thought they had with like a Robin Hood, but like they totally didn't. And it's the same thing. It's like, wouldn't it be great if everybody got health insurance for free and that it, was, it would never be as simple as you're making it well, seem? Well, yeah, that's marketing there. And it's powerful too, because it's also built on stories and narratives. And I guess my point being like, nobody wants to hear me explain for an hour why this is so difficult and why this is so complicated. It's about the narratives and the narratives that sell to people and play on people's emotion. And that's kind of like how we got into kind of our discussion about like, will it really matter that the plumbing on Wall Street's broken? Is anybody going to care? No, they're going to stick with their narrative about the the David Goliath narrative and the little man and the big guy that's going to reign supreme. But I'll end on this note. If you really do want to see or pay attention to, I think, the one that's going to really change things, then what you got to look at are the people building out the stuff that's going to allow these things not to happen anymore. And when I say these things, I'm talking about like decentralized, it's going to be really boring here, decentralized finance, the people building the technology around blockchain. So like these plumbing issues that set this whole thing off, that fed the whole David and Goliath narrative X-fold, that is, I think, the most important part of this that will surely get ignored for a long time until something, unfortunately, and here's the cynical side, something well, really breaks and well, then you but have it's like, no choice. It's like, look at the tunnels going underneath the Hudson River. Or the bridges, you Nobody know? wants to talk about the mechanics of the tunnels that they need to build, but everyone will be really happy when, when the trains tunnels. are moving faster. <laughs> Can I just say, by the way, on a completely side note, what? Somehow we just managed to get our daughter to go back upstairs. She just walked down here in the middle of us yeah. recording this. A lot, of, a lot of hands were waving very <laughs> it's quickly a snow right day. there. <laughs> and we just both put up our hand like a Beyonce. Oh, like, please, please don't have us re-record like, this. That's great. Well, speaking of Wall Street. Wins all around. Wins, wins, wins. Speaking of Wall Street, let's welcome our next guest, Mandy Bowman. Mandy Bowman is a social entrepreneur, social media strategist, and speaker. She is the founder and CEO of Official Black Wall Street, a digital platform and directory that highlights thousands of Black-owned businesses across the country. Welcome, Mandy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So excited to have you here. So first off, congratulations are in order. In addition to the exploding success of Official Black Wall Street, which we'll dig into in a little bit, you were recently included in Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Powerful Women in Business. I read through the biographies of these women given this honor, and it's just such like a sweeping, impressive list of women making such a real impact. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. That was my first time being featured in a magazine, period. So that was such an amazing email that I got. Yeah, no, it's really, really exciting. So congratulations for that. So thank you. Take us to the beginning. Where were you in your life at the time you came up with the original idea and what inspired it? 
I always get confused about when I originally started this because it started unofficially. And then as an entrepreneur, the years go by slow and quickly at the same time. It's so weird. Totally get that. (laughs) Totally get that. That is actually a really good description of how that works. It's like having a baby. You know how they say like the days go by slow, but the years go by fast. And it's like, what happened? (laughs) That's very true. Time is a mystery. So I started Official Black Wall Street unofficially in 2014, I believe. And during this time, I was out of college for about two years. I was working at my dream position. I was at Atlantic Records and in the digital marketing department. And during this time, I read a book called Riot and Remembrance. And it was a book about Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or the historic Black neighborhood called Black Wall Street in Tulsa. And I have no idea how I found this book. I believe I had taken some Black history courses in college. And I had even, as a Black person, I learned so much that I didn't know before. And so that really piqued my interest in learning a bit more things that we weren't necessarily taught in school. And so I think that's how I came across that book and reading about the story and how prosperous this community was. I went to school for entrepreneurships. I had been an aspiring entrepreneur for, I think, since I was like 13. Wow. So for me, just reading about people who are successful entrepreneurs and they look like me, man, it, w- it was just so inspirational. Remember during that time, people would always ask like, what entrepreneurs do you look up to? And it was usually Oprah and then someone else. And so it was <laughs> refreshing to see so many other faces and to learn about these businesses, the pharmacies and the theaters that they had there. For me, it was just super inspirational. And then the destruction of it, it just all inspired me, especially being from Brooklyn. And in my neighborhood, I remember coming across so many businesses that were just dropping left and right. And this was at the height of gentrification. And so for me, I thought the the best solution was just to go and support them. There were the new Starbucks and the new Targets that were popping up into the neighborhood. So of course, our local coffee shops and things of that nature weren't getting as many sales and foot traffic as they were before. And so I was like, well, I can't actually give them money or a loan or anything like that. The least I could do is go there and support them or use my money to purchase whatever products or services they have. And along with that, just doing research on the different challenges that Black entrepreneurs face when it comes to growing and launching a business from the challenges with getting a loan. I feel like I'm going to go on forever. (laughs) No, 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 it's great. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) The challenges with getting a loan. I remember reading, this was pretty recent, actually. There was a story in NPR about a Black-owned business in St. Louis. I, I always forget the actual name. But this business, they reported consistent six-figure profits year after year. They had great credit, and they were literally struggling to find a loan to keep them afloat, especially during the pandemic. And so just looking at those different statistics, then in my neighborhood, seeing so many staple businesses closed down, I was like, well, might as well create a little spreadsheet and just do research on different businesses in my neighborhood that I can go and support. And I found so many just in my backyard that I was like, wow, I feel like I should share this with people and hopefully they can support them too and keep them open or at least keep them open a bit longer. And so I started a few social pages where I would literally just post pictures of these businesses and kind of direct people to them. And that community had grown so much that it kind of happened organically where 
one thing kind of led to the next. So it started out as a spreadsheet and then it evolved into social media pages and people began following and supporting these businesses. And then there came the website in 2015, which helps people find and review the different businesses. And it kept growing from there. I think there was one point in 2016, I believe, where I had a business owner reach out. And during this time I was working at Essence Magazine. So I had a business owner reach out and they were like, oh, how much is advertising on your platform? And I was like, advertising? <laughs> so, Money? <laughs> right. Like, That's you the big light bulb moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. So I watched your TED Talk and it provided a really interesting perspective that touched on something you said before and that I'd also like to share with our listeners to give them some perspective on this point. You gave a statistic that unlike in Tulsa's Black Wall Street more than a century ago, money leaves today's Black community within six hours. And then you also mentioned that it takes 20 days for a Jewish community or 30 days for an Asian community. Why is it so important for money to recycle from within a community? What can that actually do for the community itself? Oh my goodness, so much. We know that when money recirculates back into the community, we have a bit more resources. We can hire more people from within that community. There are just a lot more things that we are privy to, even outside of employment. Just creating more entrepreneurs and more examples of that is super important. And making sure that the local economy stays where it should be. I mean, even outside of... So I'm going to repeat myself again. (laughs) No, no, it's all good. You've spoken about how when you create something that's yours as a business owner and entrepreneur, you have a chance to create long-term wealth. This is about more than money, right? I know for me, my whole reason for becoming an entrepreneur, being one of the first entrepreneurs in my family was I just wanted to create something to pass down and something that my great-grandchildren have access to and can benefit from. I remember I went to college at Babson And one of the most eye-opening things was talking to a lot of my classmates and senior year, hearing so many of them who were like, oh yeah, I'm going to work at my parents' law firm. I was like, that's so cool. (laughs) You just have a built-in job right there. (laughs) Generational opportunity. Right. Just the resource and the access and the wealth, just being able to pass something down from generation to generation. I think that's amazing. I find that so interesting as someone who had worked in a family business. And I, despite not working in that family business anymore, I don't think- But you did go into that family business and you took the lessons you learned from the family business. It goes to that point. Hey, no beating me to my own (laughs) punchline. You stop that. What I was going to say before you so intelligently interrupted was that what I found interesting is that it was still passed down in the form of knowledge to provide an opportunity to go create your own path. So whether it's continuing on the family business within the family or taking the knowledge from the family business and still continuing to do that very thing, I love what you have to say about that. And yes, I have a really good friend that always says that legacy is greater than resume. I think that coincides a lot here with what you're saying about this being a generational legacy and the opportunity for the family, not just your family, but for the community as well. Oh, I love that quote. Can you repeat it one more time? You said legacy is greater than... Resume. Resume. Yeah, that's my friend Tyrone. And it's such a striking and succinct way of putting a lot of that. So let's get into the details of the platform itself. First, for the consumer, 
What does official Black Wall Street provide a user who, let's say, is walking down the street in New York City? With the app that we currently have, you're walking down the street in New York City, the app will alert you whenever you're walking near a business that's listed. So with the app, you're able to go on and you can search for businesses across a variety of different categories, restaurants, e-commerce, boutiques. For those that are brick and mortar as well, we have a feature where a notification will pop up saying, hey, you're close to this business. You want to check it out. And I think that's one of our most favorite features that we have. We've had a lot of people who are road trippers and they love that feature, just driving through a state that they've never been to before. And they're able to get these different pings and know that, oh, we just drove by this restaurant. Let's go there. That's so cool. And how many businesses and users are there currently on the platform? So we currently have a little bit over 5,500 businesses on the platform and 350,000 users. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's That's so exciting. And now the businesses. Tell us about the businesses that choose to become part of your community. What industries do they span and what do they receive by joining? We have a lot of companies that are professional services, people who are accountants, digital marketing. We also have a lot of beauty companies. One thing I've noted is that I would say most of our consumers and most of the business owners on our platform are actually women, Black women. But you can find a variety of anything. Like I said, we have a bit over 5,000 businesses listed in there, mostly in the U.S., but we also have businesses in nine other countries around the world. So Canada, the Netherlands, South oh, that's Africa. So cool. Yeah, it's really even the Caribbean. People always look at me oddly when I'm like, oh yeah, we have businesses in the Caribbean. But even though the, the population down there, it's mostly minority. When it comes to tourism, I read a stat before where I think it's the number is maybe 70% or more of the tourism dollars just goes back to Europe. So there's still a need for people to buy local even when they're traveling. So interesting. And what's really cool, what I really like about this and the businesses that are participating is that this isn't just like a Yelp where you're walking down the street and it's like, okay, here's a restaurant. By having professional services, you can also form long-term relationships with, let's say, an accountant, a law firm. These are all sorts of businesses that would really... When you get down to like the referral component, when you're tapping into your own community and then referring business back out to your community, it just increases capture rate that much more. Absolutely. And even then we try really hard to make sure that we're not just providing exposure, that we're providing as many resources as we can. There are a lot of, I forget the stat again, but I believe it's well over 80% of black owned businesses are run by solopreneurs. And so our biggest mission is to connect people to different Black-owned businesses and also connecting those entrepreneurs to resources that will help them grow. So it's interesting you said that because I had actually written down, not to keep bringing you back to the TED Talk, but I had written this down because I thought it was interesting that three things were needed to improve the ecosystem of a Black-owned business, that you need to support the business, you need to create more Black entrepreneurs, and also share the resources. And sharing resources touches on something like so important, I think, that applies across the board to so many entrepreneurs, because I don't think it's in people's natural instincts to pool resources. I think a lot of people have a mindset of like, I'm going to work through my challenges on my own. 
I'm not going to seek help, even when it might get you somewhere you need to be or improve your chances of success. Like, I don't know if you as an entrepreneur have ever felt that way, but I know I've watched folks in Doug's industry suffer from that as well. Like, it's just, it's not in your natural instinct to pull those resources. Yeah. I remember when I first started, for me, it was so hard for me to ask for help, even though I needed it. Just because I wasn't accustomed to it, I had no idea if this was a stupid question. (laughs) I went to school for business and entrepreneurship, and there were so many things that I kind of had to learn along the way. So like you said, having those resources or even like a mentor, thankfully, I found a mentor maybe a few years into my journey. But it's so helpful just to have someone who kind of, even if it's not a resource, who at least has the know-how and walks that walk before who can tell you like, no, this is the wrong direction or can say yay or nay to different things. I feel like it gets even harder the more successful you become in that asking for help from people even more successful or less successful when you've reached a certain point. It's hard to ask. You don't really want to show anyone. I think we often view it as maybe it's weakness. We don't want to be vulnerable in those situations. And I don't think it really ever goes away. But even after 17 years of working in a profession, you would think it gets easier to ask for help. And I almost feel like it doesn't. Yeah, because at some point you're like, well, I should know this already, right? (laughs) Is it too late for me to ask? I don't want to let the people who I look up to know that I'm struggling. I want them to think of me that I'm on my way. And that's actually like completely antithetical. That's like what they're there for. So in terms of timing, do you think your business has come at the right time? I mean, even before 2020, which we can get into in a second, but speaking about millennials generally as becoming this dominant generation, millennials are spending with intention. And so I just kind of think it's interesting and poses a question like, do you think that we as a generation about to spend what trillions yeah exactly in course of the next few decades right in our economy we want something like this this is primed for was this inevitable based on like who we are and where the dollars are going thank you for helping articulate what i see (laughs) my brain just frizzled out i don't really know it was fun watching you flail for a little bit (laughs) i had a plan i couldn't execute i got you i got you why you guys are a team For better or worse. Mandy, very rarely am I the one bailing her out of anything. So. It's been a long week. I'm going to savor this memory. It's been a week. It's Tuesday. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I'm having one of those weeks too. <laughs> I got you. I got you both. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Jeez. Yeah, I do think it was perfect timing. I feel like with, even when I first began, that was like, When I first began the idea for Official Black Wall Street and the social pages, this was also maybe during the Michael Brown shooting. And so everyone was already kind of in that mindset of focusing on Black-owned businesses and the kind of help and support that they need. And I feel like just now in general, especially, we're a lot more aware of what we're supporting, even when it comes to larger corporations. I think the timing was so perfect. We even collaborated or partnered with another startup called Accountable. It isn't a Black-owned business, but we absolutely loved it because they basically have an app where you can go on and, and see how companies that you naturally support, how they measure up to the things that you value. So whether it's climate change or racial justice or gender equality, 
And it's really a testament to the fact that we are, I'm not sure if it's like a generational thing or what, but I- Or the moment, or a mix of both. I think in that context, it's in a culmination of a lot of things, including demographics. I think that's probably the right answer. Do you have any lessons learned from other entrepreneurs who find themselves with a for, good group? For other entrepreneurs. <laughs> right. Sorry, I misspoke. For other entrepreneurs with a good growth problem, so to speak, the good growing pains. I would say, at least for me personally, what's been super helpful is, and I guess this goes back to asking for help, finding professionals and having them, either hiring them to help you with the project one thing that I've learned very quickly is to delegate. I cannot do it all. And I <laughs> spent so many years as a solopreneur kind of wearing all these different hats. So I got to the point where I'm like, I didn't become an entrepreneur so I could work ridiculous hours yeah, all the more. time and just be stressed. And So true. Yeah. So I would say definitely um, hiring and delegating and figuring out what your weaknesses are and then tapping on other professionals who know what they're doing in that area. I went through so many years of just trial and error, especially when we didn't have the revenue. So of course I was doing a lot of things on my own. It takes a minute while you're learning and processing at the same time. I think things definitely sped up for us a lot more when I was finally able to tap on other people who knew what they were doing in those areas. And so we didn't have to go through those growing stages of trial and error all the time. Yeah, I always think it's an interesting mix of the financial side of things and control. Feeling like you need to do more yourself because maybe the financial resources aren't there or you need to be very careful with how you utilize them, especially when you're a sole proprietor or a solopreneur, as you said. I can't even pronounce it. Go, Doug. As well as just you've been doing this from the start and you want to maintain that control over your baby, over your business. And I think those two things perhaps make you feel like you got to continue doing this on your own, not to delegate, not to hire, not to take that financial risk because- But how I, do you make it right? How do you make it to the next level? Well, yeah, you, you, you have to do it. And I think a lot of people just end up smacking into a wall and learning the hard way. And if you're fortunate, you climb over that wall. And if not, it, it kind of buries you in bricks and you got to figure oh, your way absolutely. out of there. Along that line, tell me about the struggles that you've seen the businesses on your platform and in your community face during the pandemic? Oh, man. I'd say the one of the biggest ones is just funding, having that extra capital. I know that there are a few articles on just how many Black entrepreneurs or just minority entrepreneurs were kind of left out of that. So I definitely, when it comes to having the capital to kind of supplement during times when things are super slow or when you can't even open your doors, was really, really tough. And figuring out I think another big challenge, this one always goes over my head because I'm a millennial. So I grew up with the internet. It just feels second nature to me. But there are so many businesses on our platform that are not as advanced, that don't have a web presence. And so the biggest challenge during the pandemic was figuring out how to get them onto the web and so they can continue growing and, and thriving even through a pandemic. That's definitely been the biggest, I mean, technology, I think that technology is sometimes a barrier and just having that knowledge of what needs to be done. And then especially when it comes to older entrepreneurs who may not be millennials or may not be as comfortable with the web. Yeah, absolutely. 
we've had another guest on the podcast and it's just interestingly enough say something very similar in terms of I was astonished by the number of businesses in her sector that weren't even on the web that people literally child could not, care. Yeah, it was child care and in the childcare arena, where there were so many childcare facilities that weren't online, so there was no way to them. even search that they would even to know that they existed because they just weren't there. It just blows my mind. So to offer that to basically find a business that doesn't have that and be like, hey, this is the first thing we're going to do. When here. everything's gone so digital yeah. and we can't just pop in places left and right. I mean, yeah, I could see that being a huge hindrance. One thing I thought was so cool was how you've secured a partnership with a law firm to offer the free legal services. Right. I remember lawyer over here got excited. As a lawyer, I find that very cool. No, because I know that finding good legal representation, it's very cost prohibitive. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And a lot of times like you need that help, even just having representation. It doesn't even matter to the extent, like but just having that presence next to you matters when you're negotiating a lease. It matters when you're it's intimidating, by the way, even though when you're hiring an attorney to be in your court, like to be in your side. Right, it's like, not the easiest thing to do to go find an attorney. Ev- you, you scare me every day. <laughs> no, but it's true. But I mean, throughout the pandemic, I mean, I even see it in some of my, I'm in like a bunch of law mom groups and things there like that. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I see it all the time. And people post, they say like that they're having an employment issue and they try and navigate it by themselves. And it's like, you need an attorney to help you through this. You really do. I mean, even just to have that presence in your corner, I'm sure makes a huge difference for some of your businesses on your platform. So kudos to you. That's really cool. Absolutely. I know we've been congratulating you basically throughout the entire interview and it's all (laughs) well-deserved, but it is also in order for the many grants that you've received this year. Can you share with our listeners the importance of grants and how they differ from raising equity through venture capital? Yeah, that was pretty vital. Last year, we raised close to 100000 in grants, and it was from a number of companies and programs. And for me, it was really important that we go that route first, or primarily going through non-dilutive funding, so pitch competitions grants because it's non-dilutive funding. And so for me, it's super important at this stage to hold on to as much as possible. Not that we're unwilling or anything, but- That's so smart though. Just so Don't give up your equity if you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that was vital, especially at this stage, because we wanted to grow a bit more before we even went into- angel investors and anything of that nature. So for me, it was super helpful for us to gain the capital to do so many things. Like we're finally able to hire another full-time person outside of myself this year. Great. And we've been able to completely revamp the app and the website, which is, it should be out next month. It's been super vital for us when it came to growing and also holding on to equity while we figure out the next step. Well, I was just going to ask what's next for Official Black Wall Street, but it seems a new website and a new app. Yeah. <laughs> Coming, Coming soon. soon. It's all things growth. All things growth, right? All, hiring, growing. <laughs> so what else? Any, anything else other than a huge revamp of your app and, and website? not just for the business, but for, for you. you as well. Yeah. So we're doing the 
relaunching the app and the website. And I'm super excited about that because I've wanted to do it for so. Remember, we had just launched the app October of 2017. And I was already going to my developer like, okay, can we do these features next? Like how long will it take before we can do these now? So that's, it's been a long time coming. And we have so many features that we're rolling out this year. So it'll be the launch of the platform. And then every two weeks, there will be a new feature. So we are working on a marketplace and integrating that. And then also integrating more features just to add more incentives to supporting Black businesses and making it fun. I'm super excited about that. That's awesome. This will definitely be a really great year for us. That's great. We can't wait to check it out. And so, okay, as we're reaching the end of our interview here, we ask each and every guest the same question. Get ready. What is it that keeps you up at night? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can I ask a clarifying question? Sure. (laughs) Go for it. So when you say keep you up at night, is that a good thing? Like something that keeps you going or something that like weighs heavily on you? We have had both. We've had it answered both ways. We've had everything from... I've been watching Netflix all night <laughs> to how am I going to pay my employees? We've had all sorts of answers to that question. We're an equal opportunity question asked because, over here. Because we okay. also are kept up at night for all sorts of reasons, good and bad, every single week. Don't limit yourself here. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say there's nothing that's, that's super daunting now, but I will say something that keeps me up a little bit later than I should be up. I watch a lot of like short form documentaries on cosmology and nice. I find it so interesting and it always makes my problem seem so small when I take a step back and I'm like, okay, we're this tiny little dot in this ever expanding universe. Right up my So own. I love watching videos about planets and stars and all kinds, everything in between. And I will literally sit down on my couch and watch hours and hours of it. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. If you want to get humbled real quick, just <laughs> that's the way. Look up at the sky, basically. Right. <laughs> that's awesome. So before we go, please let everybody know where they can find you. You can find me at Mandy X Bowman on social media, and you can find Official Black Wall Street at Official Black Wall Street. You can download the app on Apple and Android devices. And join our mailing list so that you will know when our new platform is up and running. Amazing. Well, I, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Thank you so much, Mandy. This was such an awesome interview. Thank you again. This was so much fun. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for staying up with us and checking out We Should Be Sleeping. Connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and learn more at weshouldbesleeping.com. We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping. We Should Be Sleeping.